The epistle reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I'll point out that the Thessalonian letters are the oldest part of the New Testament, and both deal with the concept of Christ coming at any time, and that we should always be ready at any time. Now, concerning times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We stand in honor of the Holy Gospel. This gospel is a second in the series of three gospels. Today's reading from Matthew 25, beginning verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two more talents. And the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more. And he who has in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. <coughs> and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to thee, O Christ. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. <coughs> the third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Sanctify them by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Remember last Thursday? Was it like today? It was beautiful. My wife and I had a double load of leaves packed away in the car, plus the trunk full of sticks, and we went out to the Butterworth dump. Well, you laugh, but it's beautiful out there. All the woods around and the brush and change of color. It was warm. It was wonderful out. We're cruising along Butterworth, maybe a quarter, half a mile from the dump. I was so happy. No, it's true, I was. <laughs> when suddenly, bam, 
something came down. I thought it was at first from above, like a branch suddenly hit the corner of the car. The car shuddered, and I yelled out, What was that? And my wife looked around and said, A deer just hit you, or did you hit the deer? It was a big doe. Thankfully, the car could still move and steer, and we happily left our things behind in the dump. And as we're coming back again, we see two harvesters, uh, easy hunters who saw the doe and were hauling it off to the side, probably to take it home for a feast. One moment, everything was lovely and beautiful. The next moment could have been my end. It happened just that quickly. This time of year has the ancient title judicium, meaning judgment. It's a carryover for a a very ancient way of looking at the church year. Last Sunday was Judicium Sunday 1. This is Judicium number 2. And it has to do with the sudden coming of judgment. The question is, of course, are you ready for that? Now, if you say to yourself, oh, sure I am. I'm a good Christian. Well, what does that mean? Are you putting the emphasis on your goodness or what you do? Does it have anything to do with anything of you? If you answer in any way, oh, yes, it does, if judgment comes, you'll have a terrible surprise. Just to get us in the proper notion of what's really going on these three Sundays, I'm going to go back just a little bit to last Sunday from Matthew 25, You had the story of five virgins and five virgins more. Now, the numbers aren't just an accident. In the Jewish way of looking at things, the number 10 has to do with earthly outward things. And this picture of 10 virgins waiting for the coming of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, is a picture of the earthly visible church of which, by God's grace, we have been called into. Keeping in mind that the outward visible church is not the same as the true, spiritual, eternal church. They are not the same. In fact, the meaning of the five literal morons, the the dopey ones, And the five phronimoi, the ones who use their sense, is not to make us think, boy, I'm glad I'm not one of those dumb girls. That's not the point. The way this is structured, when you have five plus five to make a whole of ten, the point is not to try to figure out whether you're one or the other, but to realize that the entire church of the world that you see For each and every one of us, there's a 50-50 chance that we may be one or the other. That's meant to be a most stern warning. But you mean, even for us who have been here forever, 
Some of you have been here longer than I have. The point is, do you continually trust in what Jesus has done for you? And I do mean continually, not just when it's stormy and trees may be falling around you, but even on a beautiful day. Are you ready at all times for the second coming of Christ? Remember, and elsewhere in Scripture, of that day and of that hour, Jesus says, knows no man, not the angels, not the Son, but the Father alone. And Jesus elsewhere says he'll come like a thief in the night. The point of last week's sermon was a warning with regard to the end and judgment. Always be ready. Even if everything seems fine, don't just think the end will come amidst great trouble and fear and hardship. Jesus says it will come at a time when you least expect it. And that's probably when everything is fine and beautiful. The only other point I'll make about last Sunday is to be ready, you don't want to second-guess the time. Some thought they had enough of the oil that would support that flame of faith. There's the real warning for us who have been so faithful in hearing that word. We may be tempted at times to say, oh, it's it's COVID or there's a storm coming or I could go out and play golf. Don't ever think you've got enough of this oil, this word and sacrament, the means of grace, that you can just let it slide once or twice or maybe a whole lot. You never know when the end will come. You need to be prepared for possibly a very long wait. And last week was, be ready, always have enough oil, God's word and sacrament, to support that faith of yours to the very end. That was the point. And the kicker? The ones who went out to buy oil, by the way, they're not going to find any place that's going to sell it in the middle of the night. But those who come late find that the door has been shut. The Greek word means not merely shut, but barred and locked. And even from inside, there was the sound of the bridegroom saying, I don't know you. Is judgment possible for each of us? If you are wise, you will humbly answer, yes, it is. It is not as though once you became a Christian, everything's fine. If you become foolish, everything could be lost. Now, for today's sermon, no, it's all the same. A little transition from 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter says, For the day has come for judgment to begin. To begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who are not hearing and being ready for the gospel? That was Peter's way of saying the same thing. 
So are you ready? Today's text from Matthew chapter 25, beginning verse 14, begins to ask you the question, what do you do in the meantime? You can't just be sitting around waiting for it. That does no good. That, by the way, is the great difficulty of the church in Thessalonica. Some had just said, I'm going to quit my job. Jesus is coming soon. I'm just going to sit back and sponge off of other people while I wait for Jesus to come. No, it is a question, what do you do in the meantime? The man going on a journey is God the Father. This is a representation of a talent, an ingot. Now, I used to have one that was the right color, which was silver-colored, but that got all tore up. But you get the idea. Anybody want to catch this? No, no, no. This is like a cannonball. Now, again, notice the numbers. Each one of these ingots originally of silver, was a king's ransom. Now, how many of you like math? Oh, two people. Anyway, please notice you've got five plus two plus one. That's how many? Eight. Well, that is the messianic number. This is the spiritual number for the church of all time and of all places. What is the richness of the true church that lasts into eternity? What is this talent actually pointing to? What's the most precious thing that God has promised you and is given to you? The gospel, the forgiveness of sins paid at the inestimable price of the Son of God on the cross, not for a quick death, but for a long, grueling death, death on a cross. Let's do a little more math. One of those ingots was worth 6,000 denarii. Now, denarius was about the size of a quarter, but don't let it fool you. If we think in terms of buying power, one of those little denarius was equal to 12 hours labor and approximately worth about $200. That's how much buying power it had. Well, one talent works out to equaling approximately $1,200,000. That's for one. Well, the guy that had five talents, that works to about 60 million. The guy further on, it's not worth quite that much. But it's a huge amount. Even the one at the end is worth 1.2 million. This is entrusted to each of these three individuals. And it's not all the same. Don't ever think that in the church it makes everybody the same. Absolute equality in the church of God himself is not the same. All receive the greatness of the gospel, but it's based on something more, each according to their strength, or some translate it as ability. 
whose money is it? It's the Lord's. Your life that you find precious, whose is it? It's God's. Is there anything that you think you own that's really something that you personally own? The answer is no. Even the air you breathe is not yours. Everything is God's. Now, the parable now brings us to the point, really, of Christ's return. The master does return, and the one who had received the five talents came right up forward. He's not hanging back. He's coming right up forward because he's eager to present something. He brings the five talents, but he brings up five talents more. He was using this gospel to work in among the people of the world. And as that gospel goes into different hearts and lives and brings people to faith in Jesus, there you have a picture of the expansion. The five talents is now worth ten. But it's in terms of the expansion of this precious gospel of forgiveness. Master, you delivered over to me five talents. Look, I've made five talents more for you. His master said to him, Well done, you good and faithful servant. In my bedroom, I have a big artwork piece of the picture of the church, and it's got lots of you people writing things on it. I can't remember what all you said. But above the church is this verse, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You know, that bothers me. Because I look at my life through messed up lenses. I look at my life and many times all I can see are all the times when I dropped the ball. When I didn't do what I should have done. Or was afraid to do something more. And my ministry was all supposed to be about the sharing of the gospel. Well done, you good and faithful servant. My quick answer is, no, I'm not. I'm neither good nor faithful. How in the world does this answer come back to any of these individuals? Christ is looking not at how much you think you should have done, but he's looking at what you actually have done. And everything that you've done for the sake of sharing the good news of forgiveness and peace based on grace, that's part of another talent that's growing. God does not look at how we fail. That's why we have forgiveness. So don't be a bunch of neurotic German and Dutchmen. That'll just drive you nuts. It's the Lord himself who says, well done. And the first word, eu, is referring not to accomplishment, but to grace. It's a gospel term. Well done, you good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy, the kara, which is a heavenly term, of your master. Heavenly joy is connected with this service in Jesus' kingdom as you're waiting. The fellow with two talents does basically the same. Does it sound fair that he also is 
described as, well done, you good and faithful servant. He didn't do anywhere near as much as the first guy. But that's thinking legalistically. We must think in gospel terms in this parable. According to his ability that God had given, he gained two more talents. And the same thing is said about him. (coughs) Well done, you good and faithful servant. And he gets to enter into the great heavenly joy of his master. Isn't that comforting? So don't start ticking off in your minds how your life has been. Even if in your mind it looks more like a train wreck, think of Christ. He's taken all those opportunities and failures away. All that's left, it's what's beautiful in his eyes. However, the guy who had the one talent, $1.2 million worth, he came forward and said, Master, stop and think. He's doing this right in front of the master's face. Master, I knew you. No, he didn't. He never understood who the master was or what he dealt with, which was grace and mercy. Master, I knew you to be a sclerus man. That means hard, hard-hearted, legalistic, uncaring, unconcerned about his servants. He has the audacity to try to blame Christ who comes in his glory. I knew you to be a hard-hearted man. And I'll get this part. Reaping where you did not sow. What? Christ, if he was merely righteous, should have slapped that fellow silly. No such description about Jesus can be found anywhere. And also, gathering up where you had scattered no seed. This man is basically saying Jesus is a deadbeat. He left me to do a job that I could never do. So it's not my fault, it's your fault. I I can't imagine anybody ever actually thinking of trying this before the face of Christ when he comes in glory. But because he thought Jesus was sclerus, hard-hearted, which is the opposite of faith, opposite of merciful, he said, I was in terror. And so I went out and hid your talent in the ground. There's other parables about people that find a great treasure buried in a field. The trick is, you have to do it at night. You find a proper field, hopefully not somebody else's ground. You dig a hole, bury it. And then very carefully cover it over as though there's nothing unusual there. But we know from ancient writers, when people would try that to put the most precious things in a hole in the ground, what do you think often happened? They couldn't find it again. Because it all looked the same. And they didn't have those uh, electronic things to try to find where the metal is. By the grace of God, he was able to find where he had buried it. 
That's another grace that this guy gets, but it doesn't affect him at all. He just brings it forward and says, look, you have what is yours. No increase of the spreading of the good news of Jesus, the gospel. What he had, he didn't use for the purpose that the master intended. And so instead of, well done, thou good and faithful servant, Jesus says to this man, you wicked, ponderous. It's the exact opposite of good in the gospel sense. You wicked and, well, sclerata here means not only slothful, but also not sure, hesitant, delaying until he could find just the right time. Notice there's no faith on his part. He's trusting in his own ability to figure out what the best time is and how to deal with it. But because he freezes up with lack of faith, he just hides it. Okay. Now Jesus brings in something that will only show up again in the Gospel of John when Jesus is in the temple courts and he's cleaning house. In that story from Palm Sunday, Jesus goes into the trapezoids, the tables where they did banking. Now those guys that did banking in those days, they gave a fair market price. No. Whatever opportunity they had, and they weren't hesitant to do it, would use their power and situation when you had deposited money with them to give you back as little as possible. By the way, in the Old Testament, that's called usury. All money deposited for interest was utterly and completely condemned in the Old Testament as taking advantage of people. then you should have invested my money, literally my silver, with the bankers so that at my coming I could have received what is my own plus interest. <laughs> Poco interest is referring, in effect, almost to blood money. How did the bankers make money? By screwing other people. And if they were late, they'd screw them some more. And if they finally couldn't make the payment, the poor fellow that got a loan from them could lose everything. You see why bankers in Jesus' day were utterly and completely despised. In effect, Jesus is saying to this guy, well, you should have taken the talent and made a deal with the devil himself. Well, no good and faithful servant instead... The Lord makes this declaration, therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Some of you might be saying, well, that's not fair. It's not a matter of fair, it's a matter of grace. He knows what he's doing. He trusts the gospel. Give it to him who has ten talents, for to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be suddenly taken away. This is judgment. 
Now, I'll point out to you that last Sunday and this Sunday, and even on Christ the King Sunday, the one next week, there is always the danger of this judgment. This judgment has to do with your life now. Are you taking every opportunity to look for little indicators and opportunities for giving someone next door or a fellow worker or a cousin or a friend or someone else in school to share a little bit of the gospel of Jesus with them? That's the point of the parable. That's what we're supposed to be doing in this intervening time. But as for the worthless fellow, akrian, often translated as useless, if someone is kreos, it means he's necessary. This guy's the opposite. He is akrios. He is not necessarily necessary at all. He is a useless drone who has received God's grace and mercy and does nothing with it. Cast out or throw out this worthless servant <clears throat> into the not just darkness, but outermost darkness. And furthermore, the grammar is throw him out, out, that there's no chance of him ever coming back, back into the outermost darkness where there will be weeping. That word is, in, in the way we use it, it's kind of a namby-pamby term. You know, you, you bang your foot against something and you whimper a little bit. That's what we think a wimp weeping is. This term, klauthmus, is referring to deep, hard, painful wailing to which there is no comfort and no end. There will be this deep wailing and the brigmus, the gnashing or chattering of teeth in a situation where all you know and all you can expect is utter pain and sorrow and you utterly cannot handle it, not at that beginning point or forever. This parable is meant to help us appreciate the big ingots of silver, the gospel that each of us has received, but it's not ours to use, it's not ours to hide. It's ours to be sharing in every way we possibly can, in every situation, with everybody we meet, even those that we think might not like it or pay attention to it. But to be sharing this good news, this precious gospel. That's what we are to be busy doing until the time when Christ comes as King of kings and Lord of lords. And of that we will see more next week. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon us and bless us all. Amen.